What the world needs now is positivity. Connecting, relating, and being human together is where it's at. Hi there, honey German, and I know life happens, but trust, you got this. And State Farm got us. It feels good knowing that State Farm agents are there to help you choose the right coverage with great support 24-7. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Tengo diabetes. Yo, asma. Estamos en riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocócica. 19 años o más con afecciones crónicas como asma, diabetes, EPOC o enfermedad cardíaca o tienes 65 años o más, estás en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocócica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar 20, una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocócica con una sola dosis. Aunque te hayas vacunado previamente con otras vacunas contra la neumonía, Prevnar 20 puede ayudar a proveer protección adicional. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones de 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocócica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Los adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. Los efectos secundarios incluyen dolor e hinchazón en el área de la inyección, fatiga, dolor de cabeza, dolor muscular y en las coyunturas. Para obtener la información para la prescripción completa, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita prevnar20enespañol.com. Where you question, where you fit, and every time you mingle, they say you do this with not enough that. My rapping is really bad. <laughs> this life as a gringo. Yes, hello, and welcome to Life as a Gringo. I am Dramos, of course, and we have a, a special episode today. I really wanted to to share this, so I did a a speaking engagement uh, a few weeks ago, and it was done via Zoom. You know, obviously with COVID protocols and a lot of people working from home still. But I was really, man, just energized by the conversation that I had. Shout out to Stephanie, who reached out to me uh, on, on behalf of her, her company to have me speak. They have a, a Latin organization within the company. One of the members had actually uh, been a fan of the podcast and, and suggested that she reach out to me to, to possibly come speak to their group. So thank you so much for, for reaching out. You'll hear Stephanie on the conversation. She actually interviewed me and it was really incredible. We had something like, man, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't want to inflate numbers, but it was like almost 300 people via Zoom, maybe 200. I might be exaggerating, but either way, it was a lot of people on there via Zoom and just I was really energized by by this conversation. And it really was a profound moment that I wanted to share with y'all and that I thought you might be able to get something out of uh, this conversation. You know, it's a lot of my history when it comes to my come up, a lot of, of the mindset that I've developed over the years to just kind of keep getting up after life uh, inevitably knocks me down time after time. And also speaking, you know, to what I think is an important message for, for our generation of, of Latinos as we kind of lead the charge in this world right now. And I'm going to tell you two quick backstories before we get into the, the entire conversation. And it's basically just going to be one long gente segment for today's show. But before this speaking engagement even happened, it's just funny the way that life kind of happens, right? Like I've always wanted to do speaking engagements, at least for the last few years. Like it's been something I've been very interested in. 
I've seen a lot of people that I follow doing them and it's always inspired me and I've always wanted to be one of those people, you know, I've seen a lot of TED Talks and that's always been a huge goal of mine still is to do a a TED Talk one day. But, you know, I I never really kind of put much, I guess, effort into it, right? Aside from just saying, hey, it's one of those things that one day will happen, you know, and and literally my girl and I are having a conversation and she at the time was uh, was working for somebody who is a pretty prominent public speaker. And we were just talking about it. She was just like, man, like, this needs to be something that you you focus on. I feel like you'd be really good at it. And it's something that you're passionate about. Like, you really need to, to focus in on this. Like, this needs to be something that you do. And then literally, like, it might have been the same week or the week after or shit the next day. It, it was so crazy that Stephanie, you know, DMs me on Instagram and is like, hey, you know, I have my company, so-and-so. We do this Latin organization where we bring in different public speakers. One of our members recommended you from your podcast, and we'd love to have you come speak at our company. Do you do public speaking engagements? And it was just one of those moments where you're like, shit, the universe really, really is is listening, and you really can just create any opportunity that you you kind of put your mind to or that you are are bold enough to put out there into the world, you know? And then fast forward to to the day that it actually happens, right? We're we're getting ready to kind of go live on the Zoom and they have like this, you know, welcome screen that happens virtually. I'm in like a virtual guest room kind of. And they ask me like ahead of time, you know, what song do you want to kind of play while people are entering the Zoom and like while it's kind of displaying your your picture and like the welcome screen to happen. And and for me, it was this Bad Bunny song called Yo Visto Asi. And I'll get into it. You'll hear me kind of start the, the conversation with Stephanie talking about this really weird kind of full circle moment that I'm having. But what I didn't say publicly was that while people are entering the Zoom and this is playing and I'm off camera, when the song starts playing, I literally am fighting back tears. Like, and I'm not here to be dramatic or, or over-exaggerate. Like, I'm, I was genuinely fighting back tears because I couldn't believe that that moment was actually happening. And it's, I'm, I'm fighting back tears right now, right? Um, As I retell it, but I just was overcome by joy. Like, the fact that I had come this far, you know, and and created this much, you know, that I was now really living out something that I dreamed about, you know, and living this this dream life, you know, and doing this amazing thing and potentially going to get the opportunity to inspire others to to do the same in their own way. And I just wanted to share that experience before we got into the entire conversation. Like this was really just such a profound moment for me. And I think it's something I'll probably take with me for the entirety of my career. And it's just amazing to kind of see as more things are falling in place and more opportunities like this begin to present themselves I am just beyond excited about what life has to hold. And man, you just have to think it, put the the work in, you know, start walking towards that that goal. And eventually, man, things will will fall into place as long as you stay committed to it. And if you want to book me for a speaking engagement, your company does this, your school, whatever the case may be, dramos.com. You can see all the contact information on there and you can hit up uh, my manager and we'll, we'll definitely set something up. But without further ado, let's get into this conversation with myself and Stephanie Torres, who will be uh, interviewing me. And again, big shout out to her for having me. And we'll do it in our Mi Gente segment of the show. Mi Gente. Oof. Ramos, are you out there? There you I'm are. I'm here. We're here. I'm ready. Here. We're here. <laughs> Ooh, guys, I'm nervous. I got to tell you, I'm nervous. I've done some of these today. Uh, so for those of you that don't know me, my name is Steph Torres. And, um, for those of you that don't know that song, that is Bad Bunny, Yobi Stasi. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't know, every time we do these events, I get super pumped because we get to listen to our music in the middle of a work day. So that's kind of fun. So Love thanks it. for that. Um, 
Well, welcome, Ramos. I'm going to give you an intro, but welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for, for having me and for, for showing up to this. I appreciate you. Yeah, we're super excited to have you here. So um, do you have any opening remarks for us before I dive into the questions? No, I mean, I'm I'm genuinely just excited to to be here. It feels a bit surreal, especially that that song that we started with, like a quick, quick story. Like I used to listen to that every morning on my way to the breakfast club, like towards my last few months there where I was really struggling to like, you know, think of what I wanted to do next. And it's kind of surreal for that to come full circle to be here speaking with you guys, you know, off of just an amazing year of betting on myself. And uh, I'm just really happy to be here. And you guys are incredibly positive in the chat. So I appreciate you guys. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. It's funny when you I am a, a big Bad Bunny fan. And when mm. I asked you, hey, what song do you want to come into? Right. Like, yeah. And you pick that one. I've been listening to that kind of as I drive to my yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my home office. And it's a great song. It gets me pumped. And the, the messaging behind it is really right. cool. Right. Absolutely. Just owning your individuality, you know, so I just think it's it's so spot on, I think, for for all that we're talking about. Yeah, for sure. Um, OK, so let's move into your story. So all of us, you know, we have on the phone, as, as we talked about in the beginning, when I was prepping you, we yeah. have a, obviously a lot of Latinos on the phone. We also have allies, but we all have a story. We all have a story yeah. of how we got to the U.S., I was wondering if you would be open to sharing your story of how your family came from Puerto Rico to to the U.S. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of I, I guess some people I've heard that them call it like a first and a half generation because my mom is born in, in New York City, but my dad born and raised in, in Bayamón, uh, Puerto Rico. So, uh, you know, my my dad coming from from the island to to New York City, you know, basically he was, you know, the product of uh, a broken home, a, a single mother who had little to no help from from his father. And she was raising three boys on her own, you know, and times were hard. And it seemed like there was more opportunity, you know, for to make more money and to, you know, provide maybe a better life for, for my father and my uncle. Uh, so they, they moved over to to New York. And that's uh, that's kind of what drove them to, to come over here. And then, like I said, my mom is a, uh, a a proud uh, product of New York City, of of the Bronx, and and where she taught and and retired eventually from teaching in the Bronx. So she's uh definitely has her roots in the Bronx, and and I grew up around a lot of my own culture. Uh, you know, as a proud New Yorkian as well. <laughs> Very cool. And so, do you? Can you? You know, do you go back to that that topic that we were talking about in the beginning of not feeling um actually let me save that let me save that to when we move into the sure. uh, living in the gray area yeah. so okay let's talk about becoming a dj all right mm, i mean yeah. a lot of people when they're little they're like i want to be a nurse i want to be a pilot i want to be a bombero right right okay right. dj like how did that come up what? tell us about ah. tell us about don't jump don't jump ahead let's talk about oh, sure our, 13 year old dramas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was just a kid obsessed with music, you know, and I don't know where where I got it from. I mean, my parents loved listening to music, playing music loudly was a big part of growing up. Mark Anthony was blasting throughout my my <laughs> house and in the car growing up, you know, but neither one of them was musical in any way. And and for me, it was always just how can I do music? You know, so I I had a short stint when I was a kid as a rapper, uh, which was god awful as an R&B <laughs> singer and I can't sing. Um, and it was just like a never ending process of trying to find a way to get into music, you know, and then eventually I, I began playing in bands and that kind of, you know, had a little bit of, of success. I got to tour around the country a little bit 
you know, I mean, we weren't, you know, super popular. It was playing in front of like 10 people, but I got to travel because of it. I got to play music for, for a good period of my life from like, you know, I don't know, 18 to, to 21. But it really was just this undying obsession with music and, and where I, it could take me and all the opportunities that it could take me. And I just remember, you know, being a kid, seeing DJs on TV and it probably was like, you know, uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff on the Fresh Prince or something like that. You know, and, and, and that was always something interested, you know, me, but I didn't actually like start pursuing it until my time with the, the band began, began to end. And I was kind of like at a bit of a loss. You know, this was such a huge part of my life and music, you know, to me was as natural as breathing. And I always wanted to be connected to it in some way. And it just kind of was like, you know what, why not give this thing that I've had, you know, such an interest in, give it a shot. And it was a, a very slow start. I remember I was working at my local guitar center and uh, making like minimum wage. But the, the you know, positive side of it was that I got everything at like really cheap cost. So I was able to get the equipment. I was able to learn from other dudes there that were DJs and, and kind of, you know, get some game from them. And then it just started with like Craigslist. I'd be on Craigslist every day while I was at work at Guitar Center looking for like any DJ gig that was available. So I've DJed like quinceaneras, block parties. I've DJed uh, baby christenings. I've done everything you could possibly imagine i've dj'd like crappy bowling alleys like everything anything that would would give me the opportunity to do it i did it and and eventually that just kind of began to lead into more and more opportunities you start meeting more people the more you put yourself out there and eventually that led into like radio and then that started leading into the clubs you know but it, we're talking about a span of like man i would i'd probably say a good five six seven years of like really just doing really low hanging fruit things uh until I really got that one break of like, you know, trying my, my way out on the on the radio. So did you what age were, was that when you kind of uh, first started say, doing those things? I, I think when I first actually got like turntables and began to actually do it, I was probably 22 years old, maybe 21, 22 years old. So I, I think I got into it relatively late as a, you know, when it, when you compare it to some of like my my peers, you know, who have been doing it, you know, since they were teenagers and things like that, you know, but for whatever reason, you know, it, it just kind of like it came to me, you know, I was able to take to it pretty quickly. And I had always been that that kid who was like making mixtapes for his friends, like when everybody got their license, you know, I would be the guy making those mixes. So like, you know, I think when you look back on all that kind of stuff, you, you realize it was in you and you were doing elements of it all along, you know, but probably 21, 22, when I really started to like, you know, sit in my parents basement with the turntables and just trying to figure it all out. That's so cool. I'm loving all, all the stuff in the chat, guys. It's really yeah. fun seeing the chats come in. And, and also, I forgot to mention, we are going to have Q&A at the end. And so feel free. I see there's some questions coming in, too. So feel free to put questions in the chat. Okay, so fat, let's fast forward then. Now, breakfast, yeah. the Breakfast Club. So can you quickly describe, not everybody maybe on the, on the, um, on the call here sure. knows what the Breakfast Club was or is. Can you just yeah. give a quick overview? Yeah, The Breakfast Club is a morning radio show that's based out of New York City. They are syndicated around 100 different markets around the country. So it's not just in New York. You know, it's done live in New York. You know, somebody mentioned, you know, See the God. Yes, uh, Charlemagne the God is one of the hosts. Uh, DJ Envy and Angela Yee, they make up The Breakfast Club. And they've been on the air for about a little over 10 years now. So, you know, they're, they're even before working for them, I was a fan. I used to listen to them on my way to Guitar Center every morning, you know, so... It, it, it's definitely something that if you're into hip hop culture, you know, it's probably come across your radar because they're kind of that go to voice when it comes to hip hop culture. You know, even if you don't listen on the radio, their YouTube channel and, and all that kind of stuff, they're, they're very much a part of, of the culture. 
Thank you. And so that's pretty surreal. You used to yeah. listen to them as you were driving to work, yeah. right? And so yep. how did you manifest that job? Oh, <laughs> man. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's funny because I feel like I just imagine all these things and then eventually they begin to come true, you know, in, in some way, shape or form. I, I really do believe in manifestation, you know, I'm obviously paired with hard work. But I for me, when I that that all started from DJing, essentially, first and foremost, you know, I, I was DJing this really crappy uh, college bar and they would do quarter beers on like two, on Thursday nights. And that was our party. It right? doesn't sound crappy to me, actually. No, it? It, amazing. <laughs> but it was a dive. Like, you know, it, amazing concept. It was probably some of the best years of my life, but it was a dive. But it okay. just so happened to be one of the people who was involved in kind of organizing that this like DJ crew that I was a part of. He worked overnights at one of our sister radio stations here in New York, KTU. And he basically just ran the board. So, you know, through him, I began just meeting a lot of people in radio, you know, and and building relationships. And, and you know, you're, we're talking over the span of probably two years of like knowing some of these people that all of a sudden, like, you know, the the new overnight guy who was running the boards fell asleep and they had like seven minutes of dead air, which is if you I, like, I can only picture being in the car for like seven minutes and the radio goes off is like painful. You know, that that's yeah. an excruciating amount of time. And by radio standards, unheard of, you know, yeah, so that's, that kind like, of, that's like a lifetime. Right. Right. So that like that can't happen, you know, in the number one market in the country. So that guy was let go. And basically, you know, they were they were looking to fill that with somebody they could trust. And because of the relationships that I had made, I got the opportunity. And, and you know, again, it's all about long term vision because the the job paid me minimum wage, you know, to run those boards overnight. And I was making more money doing like these marketing gigs that I was doing at the time. But I said, you know what? No, like I'm I see the long term benefit in this. I'm going to give it a shot and and go for it. I believe I can make something out of it. And it you like you really had to scrape and claw to make something out of that because it was overnight midnight to 6 a.m. I'm the only person there. So like you're not meeting anybody midnight to 6 a.m. So what would happen was I would like hang around afterwards. I would come in early beforehand. And start building those relationships with people in the building. And, you know, you would get asked to do certain things. I would sleep there to, like, help film interviews for random people, you know. And, and from that, you start building your, your name up. And then, the, the, I, like, I would watch the Breakfast Club interviews while I was there by myself overnight. So that's, like, the irony of it. And I remember watching it. And I would watch every interview that they did. I would watch all interviews that, like, Charlemagne was getting interviewed and DJ Envy. And I would I would kind of like try and, you know, reverse engineer their path a little bit. And I also told myself, these guys are going to be my mentors one day. I'm going to have a relationship with them. I don't know how, but I will. And I remember like in the mornings as I was leaving, sometimes I would catch them like walking out and we would just say hi. Nobody knew. They didn't know my name, didn't know anything. But it just kept being like, this is a start. This is like the little foundation that I'm laying down. I don't know how or, or why it's going to happen, but it will happen eventually. And man, you're talking like two, three years of that type of process. And then I got an opportunity and it wasn't at the Breakfast Club. I got a full time opportunity to run the boards for a conservative talk show for one of our other sister stations. <laughs> and this was right around Sorry. the time of. Yeah, no, it's terrible. You can laugh. It really was a terrible, terrible experience. But this was right around the time of Trump getting elected. So it was when, you know, things in my opinion, politically, we're going a bit awry, you know, and I was sitting there running the boards on this show for, for somebody who obviously had no care in the world for my culture or for the things that were affecting me. And and it was just this really kind of like, you know, um, internal struggle that happened, you know, almost felt like I was contributing to the negative in the world, you know, and and, you know, this was really early on in his presidency. So things weren't as crazy, but it still felt like that. 
but I showed up every day. I was a professional. I came in, I did my job. You know, I was there on time. I might not have been the most uh, friendly or, you know, uh, hospitable person as far as trying to hang out after work or something like that. But I came in and did what I did. Obviously, the guy realized that I wasn't invested in what they were talking about and I, and I wasn't the guy for the job. So I ended up getting let go from that, you know, but because I always handled myself with, you know, professionalism and understood that, you know, this was a, a possible stepping stone. You never know who's watching. The irony is that after I was fired from from that job, a couple of weeks later, I get an email from the boss of the breakfast club and she had been, you know, she had no idea who I was prior to, but somebody recommended me to her to fill a position at the breakfast club. And the person that recommended her was actually the boss of that conservative radio show. They just said, you know, Dramos is a really good worker. You can trust him. You know, this wasn't the right fit for him, but I think he's the guy that you're looking for. I think he'd be much happier with you guys. And that's kind of how it how it all started. And, the, and he, even with that, again, there's always like some sort of path, some sort of blockage. Even when I got hired by the Breakfast Club, I was originally in the other studio. I wasn't even sitting with them. I was running like uh, basically because they're syndicated. You have two different sides of the show, one that runs just for New York City that somebody has to control and one that runs the, the, all the stations around the country. Oh, right. Sure. So, so I wouldn't hear the local ads. You use. Exactly. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. So I was running the New York City side. So I wasn't even, I was sitting in a room by myself looking at them through a window, essentially. Uh, and so even with that, it's like, OK, I'm so close, but yet so far. And then again, just sticking it out, busting my ass, doing everything that I had to do. Eventually, the guy who was running their boards at that time got fired because he wasn't paying attention and kept letting like curses slip through and things like that. And I don't know if we got, they got fined at one point, but they were getting in trouble with some of their affiliates around the country. So mm -hmm. then, you know, it's like, again, that reputation. Well, Dramos has been solid the entire time. Let's give him that shot. And, you know, once they, they gave me that shot, I, I ran with it and tried turning it into something that, you know, nobody had ever done prior to me who held that position. All right. So I'm going to jump in real quick. I think this is a good time for us to take a break and pay some bills. And after this, we'll be right back with more. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. As an actor, a producer, and a proud Latino father, my days can get very busy, which is why I make sure to dedicate time to what's important, like supporting my community through my work, sharing my Colombian and Venezuelan culture, and being present for my family, which is everything to me. Hey everyone, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and we're reflecting on what matters most. I start by giving thanks for good support in my life whenever I need to make the big decisions. How about you? If it's insurance you need, State Farm is there to help you choose the right coverage for you. And State Farm offers great support 24-7. Just call an agent. State Farm is also a big supporter of Michael Tudor Podcast Network by helping to share our Latinx voices. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Tudor shows wherever you get your podcasts. 
Tengo diabetes. Yo, asma. Estamos, Estamos en, en riesgo, riesgo de, de contraer la neumonía neumocócica. 19 años o más con afecciones crónicas como asma, diabetes, EPOC o enfermedad cardíaca o tienes 65 años o más, estás en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocócica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar 20, una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocócica con una sola dosis. Aunque te hayas vacunado previamente con otras vacunas contra la neumonía, Prevnar 20 puede ayudar a proveer protección adicional. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones de 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocócica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Los adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. Los efectos secundarios incluyen dolor e hinchazón en el área de la inyección, fatiga, dolor de cabeza, dolor muscular y en las coyunturas. Para obtener la información para la prescripción completa, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita Prevnar20 en español.com. All right, we're back and let's hop into my talk once again. You know, it's interesting. Some of the, some of the things people have been saying in the, in the chat, you know, tenacity, uh, hard work. I think these are things that tend to come up a lot with, with our culture, right? Because yeah. a lot of us, I, I remember in, in, I, I was being mentored and this mentor was not from the same culture that, that I am. Great guy. Uh, yeah. They matched us up because they said we were both feisty. So I was like, yeah, cool, <laughs> and, and he was telling his story about, you know, his dad was always in finance and worked in big tech right. companies. And, and the path was laid out for him to mm-hmm. go down that same path. And that, that was not my story at all. Yeah. And I think because um, whether we're, you know, we were born in another country and move here. There's a lot of mm-hmm. folks on our team that that is the case. Yeah. We're first or second generation. There's something in us that because we, we weren't from here very recently that we feel that we have to fight and, and, you know, prove our way or make our right. own path. And yeah. so a lot of what you were saying, I think a lot of us feel that way in some way. We're not all DJs, obviously. But. Yeah, no, <laughs> I mean, I, I think to me, the, the thing I always say is I think a lot of these feelings are universal, regardless of the path that you're on, you know, that that the content that I put out, I feel like regardless of what your background is, is universal. I mean, obviously it is because somebody has me here talking to you guys today, right? <laughs> and and I think it's what you're saying is, is exactly spot on. And I think for me, I got zero support, you know, for the most part, as far as my family believing in me when it came to a, a career in music, you know, obviously, you know, Latin families, they're very loyal. They're not going to kick me out of the house, you know, anything like that. But my parents weren't about this. You know, they, they didn't believe that I could make money doing this, that I could actually make a career about it. You know, they wanted me to, to play the safe route. But what I saw was my father played the safe route and sure he had a job, but he was fucking miserable doing it. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't happy. I saw him every single day, leave the house, stressed, come home, stressed, sitting in traffic an hour on the way there, sitting in traffic an hour on the way back in the middle there, his high point of, of his day is going to lunch. You know what I mean? So like, to me, it was like, listen, I, I don't give a damn about money or the safe road at that point. Like, I don't want that life. So I'm going to bet on myself and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there, you know? And, and for me, you know, my story is not one of like having that overnight success or like that one. Yes. And it changed everything. Like I really had to grind it out for years and I had to like, you know, really come up with this belief by myself that I could figure out a way to make it work, you know? And, and, and sure. I think when I, when I reflect on it now, I realize that I got a lot of that tenacity from my parents. You know, when I think about their backgrounds, you know, I, I didn't give them enough credit. You know, my mom, one of the hardest working human beings I've ever met in my entire life, you know, um, a woman from the Bronx, you know, and, and 
then would make that commute an hour from Jersey, you know, every every morning, you know, without traffic to the Bronx, dedicated to those kids, you know, giving back to the kids of that community, loving her job, being a principal eventually, you know, staying there, you know, after I was figuring out, you know, what she could do to help these kids in such a genuine way. Her work ethic was uncanny and she would come home and take care of the house, you know, which I'm not proud of that. We didn't ship in as much as we did. But when I think about it, like she's a superhero, you know, and my father did what he had to do, you know. He got married young and, he, you know, they 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 started a family and he had to bust his ass to to, you know, put food on the table. And he worked his way up from, you know, working at a toy store to eventually having a good paying job, you know, uh, that that he could provide for his family. So, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for for now. I can reflect back on it, you know, and that the tenacity that they taught me. But, yeah, I mean, I think that when you think about our stories, you know, we don't have that same advantage we don't have that same little kind of lead that a lot of our our you know white counterparts do you know and and when you think about people who have come here from somewhere else like imagine starting over somewhere you know what i mean like especially if you're talking about not even speaking the language or not speaking it properly or not you know um understanding the culture completely you know it's all all types of barriers to entry to finding success you know in this country for for our culture so yeah, I think it's in our blood to fight, you know, and I think that uh, I'd like to think that I'm an example of that. I love that. Thank you so much. And what a beautiful um, comment you made about your your mom uh, yeah. as a mom of three boys. I I appreciate that. Um, of course. I uh, it, what's interesting, what you're talking about is I think I might be a tiny bit older than you. I mean, not <laughs> much, but what's interesting, what you're saying is my, you know, my kid's dad. Yeah. And myself, you know, we were first generation, first ones to go to college. We both, you know, didn't grow up with much money. And we decided, like your parents, that we were going to go the safe route. Right. And we wanted yeah. how, how can we make the most money? Now, I'm sure. I'm severely blessed to be at a company where I'm able to find my purpose as well yeah. as sell software, like by doing things like this today and connecting mm-hmm. with our community has brought a totally new level of passion to my job and, and value in my job. But my oldest son is 17 and he's applying for colleges now. And he, and I had this conversation, you know, he didn't grow up the way I did because he yeah. grew up with two parents working in the software industry. Right. And, but what's interesting now is his dad and I are now looking at him saying, go, what do you want to do? What do you love? Yeah. He, yeah. he just texted me. He wants to be <laughs> a pilot. So, okay. you know, they, pilots make a good living, but he, that's his passion. So it's interesting uh, what you're talking about. I don't know if that resonates for other folks on the phone. Yeah, right. I, th- I think that's beautiful, by the way. I just want to say kudos to you for for making that kind of commentary to him, encouraging him to chase after the thing that, you know, he's passionate about, you know, because I think that obviously we all need money in this world to survive. It is a tool for that. But we have to recognize that it is supposed to be a tool, not something that controls us, you know. And and I think that if you really think back on when you were 18, 19 you know, years old, you had those years to try some stuff. You know what I mean? Like it didn't have to be. <laughs> jump into college and start a family and get a job and buy the house, right? Like really 18, like you have a few years in your late teens, early twenties to like mess around and try and figure things out, you know? And we're often taught, you know, the societal vision of like, you have to rush through life. You're wasting these years. And, and I think that it's beautiful. That was me. Right. It took me eight years to graduate from college because I went to work and and had to pay for it. So. Right. Right. And, and I think, to me, what you're describing, though, is a perfect example of what we all should be doing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you recognize that, OK, this is the hand that you were dealt, but it doesn't have to be the hand that your kids were dealt. Right. Like you can you can sit here and 
And you have the ability now because you went through that struggle to give your kid a little bit more privilege to actually be happy in this life. Right. And my parents did the same for me. You know, I, I never had to worry about food being on the table or a place to live. Right. That's a level of privilege that a lot of people in this country do not have. So I, I, I had that privilege. And now my kids are going to have a far bigger level of privilege, you know, and I hope that, you know, any any message that I pass along, somebody gets inspired by my podcast, I'm opening their eyes to, to understanding that, you know, it's about just continuing to to take advantage of the opportunities that you have, the privilege that you have and make it easier for that next generation as well to to truly find happiness, you know, in the short time that they have here on on this earth. Yeah, that's so cool. And the comments are like, I almost started tearing up. Somebody said, I think it was Tasha said we were like speaking to her soul like that. Mm. That literally just makes my day. So let's go back to the breakfast club. Really just briefly. Sure. You, I don't know. I mean, I've watched it or watched it, listened to it off and on for, you know, for years, but it seems like, you know, as the fourth chair, they kind of, you know, you're, you're the you're the brunt of jokes sometimes, or you're yeah. in the background. And, and so we, we move into, we fast forward into the pandemic, right? So it's right. 2020, we're in the middle of pandemic. You leave the breakfast club. Yeah. So, and maybe it was even after that, but what, what happened during the pandemic and what made you leave? What was going on there? I think that, you know, I, I had been unhappy for, for, you know, probably before the pandemic, I think I had been really wondering where my life was going, where my career was going. You know, I, I don't think I had found my purpose just yet. You know, I, I think I'd gotten inclinations of it, you know, little hints here and there, but I hadn't found it yet, you know. Um, and and this was probably, I, I can really think about it like November, December of 2019. So right before the pandemic, you know, I, I really was seriously just considering leaving the Breakfast Club and maybe even just leaving media as a whole. You know, I really was there um, trying to to figure it all out, you know, and I remember I went to Puerto Rico in January 2020 and I was just really inspired by like a lot of the local shops that were popping up, like the vintage clothing, which is a passion of mine. Um, And I was like, man, like, what if I just like, you know, kind of left all this and and went over there for a little bit more of a relaxed lifestyle? You know, I don't know if I'm into this rat race that is the entertainment industry anymore, you know. And then, you know, you fast forward uh, about a month later, the pandemic hits. Right. And we're all kind of grounded. And we all have a hell of a lot, you know, more free time than we ever did. A lot more time with ourselves, a lot more time with those thoughts that tend to creep up from time to time. And uh, I remember just just kind of thinking to myself, you know, this time period right now is either going to be the greatest opportunity of, of you know, our lives to really figure out what makes us happy and to take advantage of the fact that we literally have the world's attention right now. Like everything is at a standstill. People are bored and they're looking for something to do. Uh, or, you know, this is just going to be kind of a, a waste of time and a really depressing period of life. And for me, I wanted to be one of those people like I saw it as and, and this isn't, you know, we all dealt with it differently. I don't want to take this away from from anybody's experience. But for me personally, how I pumped myself up was I was like, you know, listen, there's going to be like winners and losers at the end of this. At, you know, when when this whole thing clears up, when it, when the world opens up, when things go back to normal, whatever that means, you know, there's going to be winners and losers. And I want it to be a winner, you know, and, and I read this book, How to Win Big in the Music Business. It's by Clinton Sparks and it's music business, but I generally think it's like a Bible for life. And I think he messed up by titling it that, but I definitely <laughs> suggest checking it out. But it just started inspiring me to like really think outside the box. And for me, what I started doing to kind of pass the time and to be creative, because obviously I couldn't DJ anymore. Right. So 
uh, DJing was out the window. Every every you know DJ was going on Instagram Live DJing, and it was like, all right, it's, it's oversaturated at this point, you know. So I was like, what new thing can I do to to come to the table and and also fuel this kind of creative hunger that I have? Mm-hmm. And what I did was I said, okay, I'm going to create uh, a daytime talk show on Instagram Live. So I I called it was called Quarantine in the Afternoon, and it was IG Live's first ever daytime talk show is how I tagged it, right? <laughs> and Monday okay. through Friday. I was there at the same exact time. I would literally rush uh, home because I was still going in the, into the breakfast club in person. I would rush from the studio back to my apartment. I would set up everything and I would do an hour long daytime talk show talking about headlines, you know, giggle, going back and forth with people. I would book a different guest each and every day for the show. Um, certain days I would do open mics for artists and they would send me music and I would give them feedback and reviews. Like I created this whole entire world and I, and I was getting like, really reputable like guests from my you know from my world to come on i mean i had like charlemagne come on there and you know big people like you know dj drama who's just a hip-hop legend like all kinds of of different people that i was getting to hop on there and like give me their time and it started turning into a thing i started getting a following and people really were were beginning to like you know hear my voice and it, it, i started feeling really empowered and it was like man i think there, there's something here that i really have to step into and then the the whole thing happened with with George Floyd's murder. Right. And and I was so, so shook by it and so taken aback. And I, I genuinely like I feel a bit even just emotional talking about it right now because it was just something awoke in me that it was like, you have to do your part. You know, you can't just sit here living this life where you're chasing this very superficial dream of, of finding success in the entertainment industry. Like, you know, success is all good and well, and you can do it your own route, but you also have to stand for something. And, and you have to put content out there that means something for people if you're going to have a platform. And I would just, you know, go, I, I just gave people the opportunity to vent about what, what they saw, you know, with that video of, of George Floyd's murder. And that really began to kind of snowball things where I, I really started feeling, man, my, my purpose is to start you know, uh, being a bit more of an activist for people of color, you know, how can I, how can I do that? You know, and it was just kind of like, well, duh, you know, the breakfast club has been, you've been around it for three years at this point, you've seen that they're combining activism and media, you know, and it just never clicked with me. And I was like, man, okay, they're doing such an incredible job for the, for the black community of standing up and, and speaking about the things that matter. And I was like, where is the representation for my Latinos? You know, I don't feel like I have a, a home to go to. So it was just kind of one of those things where I was like, you know what, if you don't see it, create it. And, and that's kind of what I began doing with that IG Live, you know, platform every day. And then it turned into like a YouTube show. Um, and then, you know, obviously eventually leads on to to the podcast and everything. And, and actually, the, the irony is that the IG Lives are what got me my television show that I have right now. Like my my IG Lives every day, the, the Latin TV network saw that and they were like, hey, we want you to kind of do something like that for us. But like a full blown TV show, you know, that we can put on our digital. And and that was like, man, OK, like everything's falling to place. I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be a voice for my people and I'm supposed to be, you know, a person who's, who's breaking it down for them in, in language that they understand, you know, that they can relate to. And then, man, the L.A. TV show happened and then everything else just kind of started to, to tumble down that that way. So, so cool. So, so cool. I like how you, you say you found your voice during the, yeah. during the pandemic. That is so, so cool. And your energy is contagious. They're saying, <laughs> Oh, thank you guys. All right, let's take another quick break and we'll be right back. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion lounge or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. 
Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. As an actor, a producer, and a proud Latino father, my days can get very busy, which is why I make sure to dedicate time to what's important, like supporting my community through my work, sharing my Colombian and Venezuelan culture, and being present for my family, which is everything to me. Hey everyone, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and we're reflecting on what matters most. I start by giving thanks for good support in my life whenever I need to make the big decisions. How about you? If it's insurance you need, State Farm is there to help you choose the right coverage for you. And State Farm offers great support 24-7. Just call an agent. State Farm is also a big supporter of Michael Tudor Podcast Network by helping to share our Latinx voices. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite My Cultura shows wherever you get your podcast. Tengo diabetes. Yo, asma. Estamos en riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocócica. 19 años o más con afecciones crónicas como asma, diabetes, EPOC o enfermedad cardíaca o tienes 65 años o más, estás en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocócica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar 20, una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocócica con una sola dosis. Aunque te hayas vacunado previamente con otras vacunas contra la neumonía, Prevnar 20 puede ayudar a proveer protección adicional. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones de 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocócica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Los adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. Los efectos secundarios incluyen dolor e hinchazón en el área de la inyección, fatiga, dolor de cabeza, dolor muscular y en las coyunturas. Para obtener la información para la prescripción completa, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita Prevnar20 en español.com. We are back. Let's finish up this this conversation. Now we we move on to kind of where I met you. And so I'll yeah. share a, a quick story. We do a lot of cross pod events and um, we were on a Better Together pod. And there was a, a lovely Indian uh, woman there, and she was telling a story about how when she goes back to India, um, she was mm -hmm. born in India, she had a lovely Indian accent. And when she goes back to India, she said they, her family and friends, they tease her because they say, oh, you talk like an American, you're raising your kids like an American, mm -hmm. you're, you know, you, you don't, and she said, I don't, I don't fit in there. And but then I come sure. to the US and everyone looks at me and thinks I'm, I'm Indian. And I literally, my jaw dropped because I thought, that's how I feel. I, right. I, oh, what, how would I have ever thought I would have had that in common with this lovely Indian woman? I mm -hmm. literally wanted to reach out to her and say, I feel that exact same way. Mm -hmm. And, um, for example, I'm, I'm Mexican American. I go back to Mexico and I'm like vibing. I'm like, this is so yeah. awesome. I'm inspired. And, but they look at me and they say, they think I'm a gringa. Right. Right. So right. Then, uh, then I'm here and growing up, um, but halfway through my childhood, we moved to an area where there weren't other Latinos. And so it was just me and my, my two brothers were the only Latinos in the school. And we would mm -hmm. literally bring homemade Mexican food with homemade tortillas in our lunch boxes. Mm -hmm. In the yeah. 80s, that was kind of a weird thing, I guess. And um, so I was like, that's how I feel. I don't fit in there. I don't fit yeah. in here. Where do I fit yeah. exactly? So um, one of my co-leads, who unfortunately he, he moved on, he told me about your podcast and I found mm -hmm. you and I thought this, that story, you can see people are saying totally relate, totally get it. Yeah. 
I started hearing that story here at at uh, at VMware in some mm-hmm. different you know way. They yeah. all have their story, or some are very visibly. Here's another thing that I get all the time: Oh, you don't look Latina, right? Okay, right. That make me less because <laughs> right. I don't feel less. Yeah. I know how I was raised, right? Same. Yeah. Um, we have other folks who have shared their story with me who are very quote unquote, typically very visually looking Latino that don't speak Spanish. And they right. almost feel ashamed of that. But mm-hmm. yet their parents raised them that think that way here in the U.S. thinking it would help them. So right. what what I feel from all that is that we all have something more in common than we think. And sure. I, just, I know that was a long, this is not the stuff show. I would love no. to hear how you talk about that's kind of what your podcast is based on, right? Life is a gringo. Uh, Latinos living in a gray area. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, absolutely. I I think, you know, I I remember it growing up and I'm I'm born to one of the proudest Puerto Ricans you will ever meet in your entire life. And my father. And they all are. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's very (laughs) true. But he, uh, you know, you can never say a bad word about Puerto Rico. Everything is perfect in Puerto Rico, according to my father. Um, And and I grew up, you know, with that same love. We would go there every summer, you know, and I felt very much a part of the culture, you know. And then I'd be back here, you know, growing up as a teenager in New Jersey and uh, a heavily Italian neighborhood, you know, and the the white kids would would say like, oh, you're a fake Puerto Rican. You know what I mean? Like you don't you don't even you don't dress like Puerto Ricans do. They don't talk like you, you know, and, and honestly, you know, even my the fellow Latinos over there that were at the school or or. Or, um, you know, they, they would kind of say similar things to me. And I would always just it would hurt. But I would always just kind of be like, you know, you know, fuck them at the end of the day. Like, I'm gonna, I go back over there and I feel very much at home. Right. And and then I remember being about 18 years old and going to to Puerto Rico. And, uh, you know, at this time, eight, so you're 18, you can drink, you can go to the clubs and things like that. So my my aunt, who's only a few years uh, older than me, that's a, a whole nother story. But um, you know, she she was taking me and, and my friends out who, who were with me on, on vacation. And so we go out there and, you know, I'm seeing myself as like, man, I'm one of them. Like, I'm here. I'm home, you know. And I remember, you know, she introduces us to her friends and like I'm trying to kick it to one of her friends. Um, and and my, when my aunt introduces me, she's like, yeah, this is my my nephew. You know, he's from the States. And, and her friend who I was trying to kick it to uh, replies, oh, so so you're a gringo. And I remember just like my heart sinking in that moment. And like I have I have terrible Spanish as well. And I probably tried to like prove myself by speaking in Spanish and just embarrass myself even more. But, you know, I just sort of remember, you know, feeling in that moment like, damn, like my own my own people, no, are, people are, are turning on yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. Like they're, they're they're creating this hierarchy system. And I'm, you know, at the bottom of it, essentially in their eyes, you know, so it, it, it creates this this sort of mentality, I feel like we're I didn't know what my identity was. You know, I still loved Puerto Rico. I still was was proud. But at the end of the day, it was like, man, I don't really kind of fit in anywhere, you know, and I and, and to be perfectly honest, the easiest route was to unfortunately assimilate, I think, into whiteness a bit, you know, and especially when I got into radio and when you talk about, you know, having to talk about the content, you know, that you're speaking of and the things that you're passionate about. It was like my bosses were white, you know what I mean? And this is but, you know. Uh, separate from the breakfast club, my bosses were white, you know, for the other radio station I was working at. And I was trying to pitch them to be on air and all this kind of stuff. And like, without saying it, they're saying you should sound more white. You should, you know, don't talk about politics. Don't talk about this. People don't understand it, you know. Um, and and this even went on till recently when it was like Bad Bunny's the biggest streaming artist in the world and they're still ignoring his music. And I'm trying to like 
advocate for and they're looking at me like I'm crazy, you know? So um, that that kind of is my entire, I think, life of feeling like, man, I do not fit in anywhere. And then even with being at the breakfast club, you know, I'm the only Latino there. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm still an outcast amongst them. Obviously, it's a little bit different because they're viewing you as a person of color. They understand a bit more of the of the struggle. But at the same time, like they don't get the cultural aspects of it. You know, even my boss there, I would pitch show ideas where it's like, hey, how about we create like this hybrid, you know, for people like me who like love Bad Bunny, but also listen to hip hop. You know, like I think there's yeah. a big generation, especially in New York City, right, who are like me mm-hmm. um, and they. And she'd be like, well, why don't you just why wouldn't you just do that at one of the Latin stations? And it's like, well, I don't speak Spanish, so I don't listen to the Latin station because I don't know what the hell is going on, you know, or I don't <laughs> I don't relate to what the what they're talking about, you know. So like right. it was it's like, obviously, if I'm feeling this way, somebody else has to feel this way. Right. And uh, and and I think for for me, it's that recognition of like, I can't be the only one, you know. So once I, I, I kind of began to find my voice, you know, as we were kind of talking about with the pandemic. It just became clear to me, like, let's put it out there and let's see who relates to this type of stuff, you know. And the more I began to talk about my experience like this, you know, the more I began to what I think of walk in my authenticity, the more I started realizing, man, I have a home somewhere. Like, there's a lot of people who feel that way here in this in this country, you know. Um, and, and, you know, as I began to pitch the idea for the podcast, they were like going crazy for it. And it was like, man, like, I I, I think this is it. You know, I, I think I've, I've hit on something. And I can't see anybody else speaking about it in the way that I'm speaking about it, you know. So it's time for for me to to step into this. Like this is everything I've been I've been looking for as far as my purpose goes. And and the way I look at it, with like the title "Life as a Gringo," which is very jarring, I feel like for a lot of people who are who are Latin, to me it's like you know owning. I'm owning the thing that you guys held over my head. I'm owning the thing that made me feel incredibly self conscious in my own skin, you know. And I'm gonna turn it into something that benefits me, you know. It's a very much like Eminem and an eight mile type of moment. Like I'm all the disses that you were going to, you know, hit me with. I'm going to say them first and remove all that ammo that you have. And now it's like me owning the one thing that was, was, you know, making me feel like such an outsider has given me, you know, all the opportunities that I've ever dreamed of. Yeah, that's great. And, um, I appreciate again, all the comments. And, uh, I think also some people, for, we have a lot of allies on the call with us too. There is no bad mm-hmm. connotation with the word gringo. It's just when you mm-hmm. you identify as being, you know, Puerto Rican, for example, for someone to say that it's basically a way to say that you're not, you know, and uh, right. So yeah, it can be. I I definitely was like, oh, it's a little it's a little strong of a topic, but I, again, yeah. I think there's so much positivity we can take about this, and and also connecting as a community. Thank you for that. I know we're getting close to that the wrap here. I don't know before we move into Q&A if you have any last words of advice or motivation for us. You've already said a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think for me when I when I look around and, and I'm seeing like the chat of the people that are resonating, you know, with this, I, I want to just remind you that like like our time is now. You know, we are our, our generation, you know, we're we're gonna be the pioneers for what it means to be a Latino living in America, you know, a, a American born Latino, you know. And we're living in a in a time period where as much as people are maybe trying to push against it, you know, there's far more acceptance for diversity, for diverse stories. You know, you look at, you know, Hollywood and, and, a, and even like a movie like Encanto, like how well it's doing. Like we're proving, you know, that we we can have success telling our stories in this country. And that's only going to open more and more opportunities. And when you look at things like, you know, the census where our population is just growing at incredible numbers. Like 
you know, we are going to have so much power and it's and it's up to us. It's up to our generation to set the blueprint for the next generations, right? To end these terrible, like generational curses of nonsense, of, of ideas that no longer serve us, you know, that hold us back from from truly living, you know, proud and authentically, you know, in our own skin. And I think that, you know, we just have to recognize that we have to take advantage of, of these opportunities, you know, right now. Like, again, we're we're setting the blueprint, you know, this has never been done. Like, you know, a lot of us are first and second generation. The generation before us was just trying to find a way to survive, trying to find a way to get a better life. We have a level of privilege that they did not have. You know, many of them felt like they had to silence themselves for their own safety. We don't have that anymore. So it's time for us to to speak up and, and you know, unite together to to really create this movement and create, you know, a, a more inclusive community that is beneficial for all, all the generations to come. You know, like the, the door you know, doors that were once closed, they're they're cracked open now. And it's up to all of us to just unite and, and you know, burst our way through those doors. I really I can't stress that enough. Like we're having a moment, you know, right now. And and all of us, you know, even in the smallest form, you know, regardless of what you do, whether it's the way you teach your kids about how they're going to view life and, and the way that they're going to live life and represent themselves, like all of that, you know, is the work that, that we need to be doing, you know, not passing down the trauma of, of the previous generations, you know, onto our kids and things like that. Like all of us have a part to do, regardless if you're, you know, someone like myself, who's going to be front facing speaking in the media, or, you know, you are someone who's enjoying you know, a nine to five lifestyle and raising a beautiful family. You know, it's up to all of us to, to do our part, uh, to, to really create, you know, just a, an incredible, um, addition to a, an already amazing legacy we have as Latinos. Very, very cool. Very, very cool. Super appreciative of that. So thankful that you're here today and th thankful that the conversation is resonating with everybody in the chat. Let's go to Q&A. All right. Let's see here. How exciting was it when you found this idea for a podcast and knew nobody else was doing it? How quickly did it go from idea to product in the world? Mm, it, it was exciting, but I was also still a bit unsure, you know, as much as I felt like I had hit on something, you know, and, and I have to also give a big a big shout out to the author Ed Morales because he he writes about this type of stuff. He has a book, I think it's called Spanglish, and it, he writes about a similar type of thing. And I think that was a bit of the ground where I was like, oh, like wow, I'm there, I'm onto something. You know, it's just not necessarily being spoken about in a way that I would naturally discover. But I felt really good about it. I originally, I think, kind of thought of it as a book idea, and then you know, I I mentioned it to my girlfriend who um you know is is feel you know felt similar to what I did not feeling accepted by her community and she kind of went crazy for it and she was kind of like I think this is like your idea you know you're when you have like those you know those million dollar ideas this is that million dollar idea for you you know that could possibly change everything and then you know uh I I still you know wasn't sure what to do with it I was kind of toying around with the idea and then it was like Charlemagne connected me with somebody from iHeart who was doing the uh, a Latinx podcast network and when that meeting came up, it was like, let's pitch it and see what happens. And and when they loved it, it was just kind of like, man, I'm I'm here. Like I've I finally arrived and I can't put it to words, you know, what it means to have a platform like this and to be having these types of conversations. Okay. The next question was, do you have any suggestions for um, I'm assuming that Dharma was not born here in the States, but her child was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, any suggestions from you and maybe even in the chat as well as to how to help um help her feel more that her child feel more connected to uh her culture so she's mm. born here but um right. probably how to feel connected in both it says here sure. she feels like she's straddling two worlds but not belonging to either so again the same right. topic 
any suggestions you might have? I mean, I, I think for me, what was huge was my father making it a point to teach me about Puerto Rico and not just take me on the tourist parts of the island and things like that, but to truly drive me around the island and see, you know, the core of it, you know, the places that tourists don't go, you know, to really get a good feel for it. And on top of that, to educate me on the history of the island, you know, to force me to have these these conversations, you know, surrounding politics and all kinds of things to be a bit more well versed on it, you know, Um I think the only thing I wish they did more was teach me Spanish. You know, unfortunately, any Spanish I know came from from my grandmother who uh, passed when I was really young. So my my, I I can understand it fluently, but speaking it is a whole nother thing for me, you know. So I I think that's the one thing if I can suggest that I I know for me, it would have meant a great deal if my parents would have made it a point to teach me, you know, Spanish. And, And also, I think, you know, for my father to bring some of the traditions, you know, from the island, like Three Kings Day and things like that. You know, um, that's something we finally celebrated this year, but I didn't grow up celebrating that. You know, that's something I made my parents do now as an adult because I want to carry that on when I have kids eventually, you know, that they feel a bit more connected to our culture. So, you know, those are things I would suggest, you know, don't lose those sort of cultural cornerstones that you have that that are the positive aspects of of your history and, and your roots. And I think education as well, you know, it's important to to know our our history and to know where we come from. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Um, okay, we need to know what was the coolest club you've ever DJed? Oh, man. Um, well, I've DJed the Puerto Rican Day Parade in New York uh, a few times, which of oh, course that's is, cool. has to has to be mentioned. And I think the other one is Webster Hall in New York City, because that was um, a club that I saw my first like real DJ performance at. I remember telling myself, you know, when I first started, I'm going to play here one day. It closed down at one point which so I thought that dream would never happen. Then it reopened and I got to play it literally like a couple of weeks before the pandemic hit. So um, that that for sure, Webster Hall, New York City, is just a legendary venue and was always on my bucket list. I'm, I'm really grateful I got to check that off. I don't know if everybody else is catching this, but you've said it like three times, I think, in this conversation. You hmm. said, I'm going to play here one day. You yeah. Thought I'd say it like that. I'm going to play here one day. You also mm-hmm. said uh, at, I, at um, the Breakfast Club, I'm going to be on this show one day. Or I'm right. going to work on the breakfast club. Yeah, that, that's very cool. I don't know if other people noticed that. Maybe Absolutely. we should follow in his footsteps and uh, yeah. say you, it out. You, ha- you have to believe it for yourself before anybody else is going to, right? Like you can't expect you can't to be pitching somebody. <laughs> yeah, you can't like manifestation, absolutely law of attraction, all of the above, right? Like you, you can't expect to be selling somebody a product or an idea and you don't believe in the product or the idea, you know? So like you have to believe it in your heart first and foremost. And and then let everything else kind of fall into place as it will. Yeah. Okay. Um, what, what, who's the coolest celebrity that you oh, either interacted with or yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, Will Smith it has to be like, Ooh, that's top. a big one. Yeah. It's, it's just like when you hear, cause we all hear this stuff where you're like, man, some people are just stars. Like they have that energy, their presence when they walk in a room. And I've never felt anything like when Will Smith, walked in a room it was just like you like the dynamic of the entire room shifted and he was so warm and and he he sat outside like in our in our lobby of the radio station literally just having conversations with anybody that would would listen essentially you know what i mean like (laughs) and here he is like one of the biggest movie stars on the planet you know and there was no ego he genuinely just seemed like he was enjoying every moment and enjoying interacting with people you know so for me that like just left such an an impression on me to to see somebody at that level still being so so human you know i thought that was just such a such a beautiful thing that is really really cool i think we um we are coming to a close really appreciate 
Dramos, you being here. It was such a thrill to work with you on this. I love the message and I hope uh, I really appreciate everybody out there joining us today. And and actually somebody said, can you come back on a regular basis? So <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll see you again for like Hispanic Heritage Month or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm I'm here for it. I want to thank all of you guys for for being a part of this and being so interactive and, and gracious for having me. And I, I last thing I do want to say, because I also want to say it's Black History Month. And I saw somebody mention this and I feel remiss well, right. if I didn't if I didn't mention this about, you know, when we talk about correcting some of the errors of previous generations, the colorism that happens in our community is something that we need to we need to, you know, come face to face with and understand that, you know, we have African roots in our heritage and we should proudly, proudly be honoring them. And I don't want anybody to ever feel like they aren't a part of, of this amazing culture that we have because of some nonsensical, you know, uh, sort of way that our previous generations acted. Uh, you know, I, I think it's important at the end of the day to celebrate the beautiful culture that we have, you know, but also understand that we have some work to do. And that also goes when you talk about machismo culture and talking about how my dad and, and me expected my mom to do all the work after coming home, driving from the Bronx, like stuff like that is Still doing exactly that. <laughs> right. But and listen, uh, um, it's not OK. You know, we all need to do our part, you know, and understand that these these ideals that were taught to us no longer serve us. And in order for us to progress to our highest potential, we have to get rid of them and, and not hand them down to another generation to, to fall victim to just these, these you know, curses. We have to break the chain, which I think somebody said earlier in the chat, and I, I completely agree. So I just want to make sure I, I, I mentioned that because I know a, a few people were talking about that. So I want to make sure as somebody of privilege who, who enjoys the, the privilege of, uh, you know, that comes along with having the preferred skin tone, unfortunately, of many of our media outlets. I want to make sure that I speak out on behalf of our black brothers and sisters and let you guys know that, you know, I stand here in solidarity with you guys. And y'all are very much a part of this culture and you should always feel feel that way. Dramos, thank you again so much for being here. Thank you to all of you. you. And uh, I hope you stay in touch, Dramos. Don't don't leave me. I know Absolutely. you are. We're like friends. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you, you reach out and I'm here, I, I really enjoy talking to you guys. Thank you so much for, for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Take care. Man, I hope y'all y'all enjoyed that conversation that I had. Once again, thank you so much to Stephanie Torres for, for having me and everybody that was a part of that that whole talk and that conversation. The comments were insane. The feedback was amazing. I, I just felt so energized and alive after after that entire talk and, and moment. So thank you once again for having me. Now that said, let's wrap it all up in a neat little bow in a segment we call Conclusion Stew. Time for Conclusion Stew. All right. So, I mean, first and foremost, I hope that that was moving for you, inspirational in some sort of way. I know for me, I I walked away so incredibly energized and just feeling so alive after that that conversation and it just kind of made me feel like man you're exactly where you're supposed to be right now and that's such a beautiful beautiful and just profound feeling and it's something if you aren't experiencing that in your life right now i i pray to god that you get to feel that way at some point in your life and i'm not going to kind of run through the the highlights of that that conversation i, I kind of want to give you something fresh um today as well i mean i've been sitting here today thinking you know about just how lucky i am you know um uh recording this on president's day and not gonna lie, I woke up today feeling a little bit funky. You know, I allowed myself to just kind of sleep in, you know, like, hey, it's a holiday to sleep in a little bit, cuddle with my dog. And I think there was a part of the overachiever in me that was kind of like, you know, you're being lazy, you're wasting a day by sleeping in. Now look what time it is. You have all these things you want to get done, you know, um, around the house and you still have to do your podcast and all this stuff. And you just slept in and wasted half the day, basically half your morning. 
but you know, as the day kind of progressed on and, and I kind of got a little bit more in touch with myself and, and, and my own inner dialogue and just kind of started getting at some of the, the chores I wanted to do around the house and things like that. I just started feeling profoundly grateful because it kind of hit me like, man, you know, you're living the life that you dreamed about, right? Like, I'm not a rich man. I'm not living in some sort of mansion or anything like that. But I'm a man who's in, in charge of his life. Like, how beautiful is it that I get to tell myself today, like, listen, you're going to sleep in. You're not going to do any work. You're not going to respond to emails. You're going to just record your podcast. And that's literally it. The rest of the day is spent catching up on errands around the house that you wanted to do playing with the puppy, you know what I mean? Like all that kind of stuff, right? Like focusing on, on getting my own personal affairs in order and giving myself that permission, you know, on like a Monday to, to have that, you know, to have another day of being able to lay around watching TV if I felt like it, you know, a third, third day uh, from the weekend, right? And I just realized like that's something I had been striving for for so long, right? Because when I was working, let's just say for the breakfast club the last four years, I never had that option of being like, you know what? I'm not going to go and I'm going to give myself the day off, right? It was a whole process. You have to request off. Somebody has to cover you. You have to get backups, right? all that kind of stuff, right? Like any other job is, you know, or before that, if an uh, offer for work came in, I didn't feel like I could afford to turn it down, you know? And I've now been blessed enough to kind of be in a position where like I get hit up to DJ certain things and if it doesn't feel like something I want to do at the time, you know, regardless of if it's money, hey, I'm not going to do it. And that's such a blessing. Like, I used to be the guy who was like, hey, can you DJ tonight? And they'd be like, all right, I guess I'm not going to go to dinner with my parents. I'm going to go DJ tonight and make some money, you know, because I felt like I needed that money, right? And I'm just, you know, kind of stewing over here. But I just feel this overwhelming feeling of fulfillment and, and just being incredibly grateful that I've done it, you know? And, and I feel like I've said this a few times in different content, but like, if it doesn't get any better than this, it doesn't change anything like it doesn't mean it doesn't change the fact that I've already achieved success, you know, in a way that I'm so fortunate to do. And I'm not saying all this to pat myself on the back or to brag. You know, I, I hope that you hearing this from me inspires you to kind of strive to be able to do the same, because I feel like in life, we all think maybe, you know, oh, it's about the car, it's about the house, it's about the money in the bank type of thing, you know, and all of those things have their place. But at the end of the day, I think what we're really talking about is we want the the freedom that comes along with, you know being financially stable or in a, a financially, you know, good place, right? And once you've achieved that, where you're really calling the shots in your life, you know, day to day, and you can plan your day how you feel like it, and everybody else kind of ha just has to, has to kind of deal with it to a degree, right? Like you're in that control. Like that's success, right? That's the real goal. That's what we're striving for, that you don't have to stress about if bills are going to be able to get paid this month, right? And that you don't have to break your back trying to pay those bills. That's what the real goal is, right? Everything else, is just extra like the fact that i get to sit here and literally everything that's paying my bills is something that i'm passionate about something that i've dreamt about doing something that i enjoy doing like that's fucking insane because for so long that was never the case and man i just hope that it inspires you all to try to strive for the same because listen it took a very long time for me you know i didn't get financially stable till basically i was like 30 31 right but I wouldn't take any of it back because it's so fucking worth it. The fact that I didn't cave in and didn't give in to the easier life just so I can get that instant gratification. Like I'm so happy that I stuck it out. And now I truly just really get to live life the way I want to right now. And obviously I'm striving for more, always striving for more. But at the end of the day, all of that will just be extra. I'm already living my dream right now. And that's just such a beautiful, beautiful and profound thing. And again, I hope that, this maybe makes you, if you're hesitating to go out after the things that you want to do, you're giving yourself excuses. Like you have to, you owe it to yourself because this is, this is life. Like this is really living and, and all of us 
deserve to be able to have this this feeling that I'm feeling right now. And obviously there's gonna be days where I'm feeling a little bit off, but I can tell you right now, man, like this this just light that I'm living in right now, this fulfillment that I'm I'm feeling right now, it just man, all the bullshit was was worth it, I promise you. And with that said, thank y'all so much for tuning into another episode. I appreciate all of your love and support. I'm going to enjoy the rest of my day off here. Hope this conversation was profound for you. Again, you want me to come speak at your school, your company, whatever the case would be, dramos.com, and you'll see the the contact information from my manager, and we'll set everything up. Now, with that said, I'll catch you all on Thursday with our Thursday Trends episode. In the meantime, be safe, and I'll talk to you all then. Peace. Life as a Gringo is a production of iHeart's My Cultura Podcast Network. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Tengo diabetes. Yo, asma. Estamos en riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocócica. 19 años o más con afecciones crónicas como asma, diabetes, EPOC o enfermedad cardíaca o tienes 65 años o más, estás en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocócica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar 20, una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocócica con una sola dosis. Aunque te hayas vacunado previamente con otras vacunas contra la neumonía, Prevnar 20 puede ayudar a proveer protección adicional. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones de 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocócica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Los adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. Los efectos secundarios incluyen dolor e hinchazón en el área de la inyección, fatiga, dolor de cabeza, dolor muscular y en las coyunturas. Para obtener la información para la prescripción completa, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita prevnar 20 españolcom There are a lot of things that matter to me. Family, community, culture, and peace of mind. Hi, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when balancing life, I have to say nothing brings more comfort than having support. And when it comes to ensuring those things that matter to you the most, State Farm offers the support with an agent available in person or on the phone to discuss your coverage options. Support when you need it, however you choose. That's State Farm's way. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.